Hey, good morning, East Bay. Now, I hate to be honest with you this morning, but um, you're just coming across a little bit tired today. I'm just stating the facts, folks. You look a little tired. Um, is it the rain? Is that what it is? Uh, I've done this once before. Would you just stand up for a second? And some of you, I just, I'm really concerned about you falling asleep during the message. And uh, so why don't we have a second quick greeting time? Does that sound all right? I'm going to give you 30 seconds. Just say hi. Wake someone up in your area. Welcome them. Hey, um, I want to do something also a little bit different. Remember just a few weeks ago, we had a baptism here at East Bay, and I think we had nine folks go public with their faith. And the very first baptism we had was um, Dave Drake uh, baptized his dad, Billy. And that was really special, and we love that. I mentioned Dave has been struggling physically. In fact, that morning, um, we wheeled him in with a wheelchair in order to be able to do that baptism. And, and I spoke with the Drakes last night. You need to know that right now they are in the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. Uh, they're working through some extensive treatments for him. Dave is not doing well. I just need to be blunt with you. He is not doing well. Um, you realize he's only 47. And he's been going through fevers this week, uh, 106 degrees, and, um, and really struggling tremendously. And I, I know we've had prayer time. I know we've done other things. Can we just pause all of this and just collectively pray for Dave and, um, and Deb Drake? Pray for his physical well-being. Deb feels lonely. She goes back to the hotel at night and she feels lonely. It's difficult for her. Um, so why don't we do that? Just in the quiet, I'm going to give you 20, 30 seconds. Just you and your heart pray. Even if you don't know Dave and Deb, God does. That's the beauty of prayer. Would you pray for them? And then I'm going to finish up with some prayer together. Just pray for Dave and Deb Drake. Father, you know the situation even better than we do. Um, but our hearts ache for these two who've been battling this for years. And even the doctors are baffled right now of what is going on. And, and Father, I pray that you would open, open their eyes, help them to see what's going on in Dave's body. God, I pray that there's some kind of remedy some kind of treatment, because this guy has it in his heart to serve you and to be back here. And yet he's facing a very grave situation. 
God, your love and comfort be with them. Um, may Deb sense your presence and may there be things we can do, Father, to help her sense our presence too. Your strength step in. God, intersect this, superintend over it, and I pray that through this whole situation that there would be a time we can all give tremendous credit to you for your goodness to us. And we pray this together as East Bay Calvary. And we all say together, amen. Continue to remember them in prayer. If there's something you can do that God puts on your heart to touch Dave and Deb, uh, please don't, don't delay and just do it right away, uh, we'd ask. Yesterday was TC Cares. And it was a ministry that we partnered with in the community. Uh, we partnered with Sojourn Church and a number of other churches. And we had a number of people from our ministry go there. And here's some pictures of, um, of our crew in action over there. They served over 130 families in this special ministry yesterday between 10 and 2. 130 families in four hours from our community with medical care and chiropractic and food and clothing and manicures and hairdos and massage and all of the above. And our people did so well. And um, I'm just so excited. We had our very own Sarah Leitz lead the way and organize this with a couple other folks and they did an awesome job. So a huge round of applause. <clears throat> That was just great. That really was special. I'm so thankful for all that we were able to do there. And I just want to say something else. I don't know if you realize this, but whenever a new pastor steps in, of all that happens, there's one thing invariably that happens, and that is giving goes down initially. And we had the, the double duty in that not only did you get a new crazy pastor in here, you also had summer, and let me tell you what happens during summer. People go away, giving goes down. And can I just say, um, I just can't believe it. It's just so incredible how God continues to meet our needs. And I know that there is a gap right now in our giving. I never dreamed we would be within reach with a few months left to go in the year of actually achieving our budget goal. And it's exciting. I just want to say thank you. Thank you for partnering with us in giving and being a part of the ministry here at East Bay and understanding that there's a mission that we all need to participate with. And I really, I appreciate that. And more than my appreciation, uh, God loves our partnership together. So thank you so much for all of that. I might even preach today. This is how good this is. This is exciting. Hey, uh, there's a couple truths that are burned into the core of my heart that I need to express. Uh, the first one is, I firmly believe there's a real heaven, there's a real hell, and everyone in this building right now is going to spend an eternity in either one of those places. And I also believe firmly in my heart that it's what we personally believe about Jesus Christ that is going to determine which place we go to for all eternity is solely based upon what we believe about Jesus Christ. And I also believe this, 
that God has given the message of hope, the message of rescue to his church. And God calls the church the hope of the world. And I believe that this message of hope has made the church the primary influencer in society to take the message of rescue and the message of hope to our world And this message will completely, permanently change someone's life, not only for here, but for eternity. And I believe that because there is a heaven and a hell, and since I believe that dependent on our belief in Jesus, we will end up in one of those two places. And because I believe the message has specifically been given to the local church to get out to the world. I believe everything we do here on Sundays is critically important. And since I know that what we do here is critically important, the issue no longer is about how important our purpose is. We all know it's important. But the issue now is how effective our purpose, our efforts are, and where our focus is. How effective is our effort together? How important is our focus? And these are things we need to be thinking about. Last week, Pastor Ryan stood up here and did a great job talking about the reality that Jesus Christ came to earth to seek and to save that which was lost. He was searching for those far from him and Jesus found them. And the reason why he found them is because he was lost focused. And I want you to think about this if you would for a moment, take your Bible and turn to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 15. If you have your iPad, iPod, your phone, whatever it may be, Google it up and find Acts chapter 15. Maybe you have a Bible app on there, Acts chapter 15. If you look at the churches God is developing with new believers, I just want to put a connection together. You look at churches God is developing with new believers and you'll quickly see God puts new believers in churches where people have a heart and love for new believers. I mean, go figure, huh? God takes new believers and he puts them in churches that really love them and that want them there and that will work with them and and care for them. However, churches that are designed primarily for church people are churches that are made up of church people who love church for being like church people. But churches that are made up of believers that have a heart like Jesus for those on the outside, they seem to be the ones God is entrusting with his new little ones, and I love it. Here's the saying I've learned, and I throw it out there for you to remember. It's because ultimately God has called us to be fishers of men, not keepers of the aquarium. Think about that. So here you are in Acts chapter 15. Here's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk today... um, about this specific emphasis. I want you to think about it. I want us to pray about it. I want us to think how we can do this better, individually and as a church collectively. And here's here's the three words I want us to think about. Be lost focused. Be lost focused. Jesus came to seek and save lost. And so in our mind, just like Jesus focused on the lost, be lost focused. Here we are in Acts chapter 15, Hopefully you're there, you found it in the New Testament. 
And there's a little bit of background that I want to give you, and I know some of this may seem a bit academic. We're going to jump into our application a little bit. And in fact, when we're done, at the end, I have some leftover text message questions from two weeks ago that I want to answer and uh, that we're going to work through together. Here's some background. The very first church, when it started in Acts chapter 2, the very first church, all the believers in the very first church were primarily Jewish. They were Jewish ethnically and they were Jewish religiously. And so these Jewish believers in Acts chapter 2 had a tremendous spiritual heritage. Their heritage involved their time in the synagogue. It involved their adherence to the law of Moses. It, it, it also involved for the men that they had a symbol, physical symbol of their significant obedience to God and to the law of Moses and that of circumcision. And so you realize that these new believers, these Jewish believers, had such a tremendous history and ultimately their faith culminated. They were looking for this Messiah. They were looking for the chosen one to come. And so when they trusted in Messiah and believed that Jesus is truly God come in the flesh, this was the ultimate culmination of their faith from the synagogue and obedience to the law for the men, even circumcision. And now here's Messiah, here's Jesus Christ. And they put their faith and trust in him. On the other side, there were those who weren't Jewish, the Gentiles. Now, I don't know how your mind's going right now. Hopefully it is going. And here's the Gentiles. They, they were not of the same background. Guess where they didn't? They didn't go to the synagogue their whole life. They probably weren't very familiar with the law of Moses. They were not circumcised according to the law of Moses. They did not have the same kind of background that these individuals had. And yet, outside of Jerusalem and Judea, then there was Samaria, and then the uttermost parts of the world, and God was beginning to reach that in this early church. And now all of a sudden we had people with a tremendous spiritual heritage who were coming to faith in Christ, and then people with no spiritual heritage that were coming to faith in Christ. And I want to show you the very first place where all of a sudden there was a clash. How were people who had a tremendous spiritual heritage going to work with those who didn't have a tremendous spiritual heritage and putting their faith in Christ? And here we are in Acts chapter 15. And you know what? I probably need to turn there along with you. That would make the message go a lot better this morning. So here we are in Acts chapter 15. I want you to notice verse 1. In fact, we're going to pop it up on the screen. Look at this verse with me, and we're going to see this first clash of when people with spiritual heritage connected with those without that same spiritual heritage, and how are they going to unite on the issue of faith in Jesus Christ for their salvation? So here's Verse one, I just want you to look at it here. And if you see it on the screen, how about we read this together and, and then we'll talk about it a little bit. Notice Acts 15, one. Certain people, would you read with me? Came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you can. Here's the first clash. 
Judean believers. Now, I don't know how this connects with your historical or biblical understanding, but Judean believers, so that we know Judea means land of the Jews. So these were Jewish believers. These are people with genuine faith background who would now put their faith in Jesus. They were Jewish believers. They came from Judea and they came to Antioch. Now, let me just tell you, Antioch were not Jews. This was Antioch of Syria. These were Gentile people. These were formerly pagan people. These were outsiders. And so these Jewish believers said, you know, this is what our faith experience was like. And they went up to these Gentile people who were coming into the church. And they said, you know what? I want you to understand this. Your faith isn't complete. You have not been circumcised according to the law of Moses. You may have faith in Jesus, but it is incomplete because you have not gone through the same faith experience that we've had. The text doesn't call them false teachers. I believe they were intentionally trying to pull people through a faith experience that was meaningful to them. They were probably well-meaning believers, but they saw their faith journey as meaningful, sincere, and complete. Notice verse 2. Check this out, Acts 15, 2. How about we read this together? <clears throat> Here's how the narrative continued. Read this with me. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the and elders about this question. So here's what happened. The apostle Paul was with another missionary partner called Barnabas. They were in Antioch. And these Jewish believers stepped in and said, whoa, your faith is incomplete. You haven't gone through these things. You're not circumcised. And Paul and Barnabas were reaching out to these people and just said, you need to trust in Jesus. That's it. And so here comes the clash. Here comes the problem. And Paul and Barnabas got into this heated debate with these people and insisted that this expectation of circumcision was unnecessary for one's relationship with God. And, and then how was this going to be settled? Realize they didn't have a firm answer. So the church said, you know what? Let's send Paul and Barnabas. We're going to send them back to Jerusalem. And they're going to meet with the apostles and the elders there and they're going to figure this out. And so now we jump to verse five, and I want you to see this. Let's read this together. So Paul and Barnabas step into this meeting. There's the apostles and elders. There's other believers from the church of Jerusalem. And Paul and Barnabas bring this up, and they say, you know what? We're talking to Gentiles. They're not circumcised, but they're coming to Christ. And some Jewish believers come in and said, it's fine, you're accepting Christ, but you're not circumcised. Your faith is inferior. It's not complete. What do we do about that? And then notice, even at this church in Jerusalem, here's what happened. Read this with me. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law. Of so this happens in this church business meeting. The apostles and elders are trying to figure it out. Paul, who had debated against this as a necessary point for salvation, 
And here, here stands up some Pharisees who, you know, their faith background, they had gone through the identical thing and they said, you know what, we think it is critical for these individuals, these Gentiles, to be circumcised just as we were for their faith experience to be complete. This was a big deal. In order to come to Christ, you had to have surgery. Personal surgery. And here's three problems. Those who trusted Christ but weren't circumcised now were concerned, is my faith valid? Am I really saved? Am I really going to heaven? Those who were circumcised would potentially look down at those who weren't and say, whoa, you know, we're, we're of the real faith. And then those who were considering trust in Christ, and this was the big issue for the church, and we're going to see in just a moment. Those who were considering, should I buy into this Jesus? Should I put my faith and trust in him? We're now faced with an additional hurdle for trusting Christ. I want to trust Christ, but surgery? I'm sure there were some women back in this early church that are saying, oh, great. I've had a hard enough time trying to get my husband to come to church, you know? And now this? I'm sure some husbands are like, yeah, honey, um, why don't you just take the kids and go on to church this morning and I'll stay back and do some of those projects you've wanted done around the house? Why does some desire everyone else to follow this? This was a major symbol. This was a foundational symbol for the Jewish people. This was a core part of their faith and their faith journey, and it noted their significant obedience and covenant with God. And, and let's just face it. Our tendency is to lock others into the means, symbols, and methods that help us come to the point where we are spiritually. I found this to be true. I'm sure you found this to be true. There's nothing more spiritual, fulfilling, meaningful than some of the means and symbols through which we trusted Christ. You realize that? There are some songs from when I was a kid and I remember them, and they bring such joy to my heart. And I sing them for my kids, and it doesn't bring joy to their heart. <laughs> and I end up, why don't you like this? What's your problem? Here the council comes together to talk about this issue. What's going to be their final decision? And here it is in verse 19, and let's read it together. So here, the, the, the elders and apostles of the church in Jerusalem, they hear all of these arguments. They hear from Paul. They hear from Peter. They hear from some of these others that said, you know, circumcision should be required. 
And here James steps forward. He's the lead pastor at the church in Jerusalem. And here's what he says. Let's read it together. This is the final decision. James says this. Let's read it. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning. Here's the big words. Let's not make it difficult. It's not required. We need him to turn to God. That's the mission. Not these other things. Even as significant as they are, the mission is we want these people to trust Jesus Christ. It's a big deal that people acknowledge the gospel. The Bible says the gospel of Jesus is a stumbling block to people. It's a humbling horse pill for people to swallow to say, I'm a sinner. I'm not good enough. I can't get to heaven on my own. I need help. I need to trust Jesus Christ as the final payment for my sin and wrong. That's a horse pill to swallow, that I'm incapable of self-recovery. And so they say, you know, it's hard enough. That's a big enough deal for them. Don't make it harder by saying that they need to do these extra things. Don't make it more difficult. Eliminate that which is unnecessary or a distraction and make this thing all about Jesus Christ, all about trusting him. Don't make it any harder. So I want to give you this. I want to give you two reminders for those found, and then I'm going to answer our text message questions from two weeks ago. Two reminders for those found. And here's the two reminders. Those found would be people, believers, who already put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And here's the two reminders for those who have already been found. Number one reminder, a search focuses on the lost, not the searcher. A search focuses on the lost, not the searcher. Imagine two guys getting together saying, you know what? Let's search for the lost. Ooh, let's search for the lost. Let's do this. This is going to be great. And they partner together and they say, you know what? So um, let's talk about what kind of cabin that we want to come back to as home base. And so they talk about the cabin. Hey, let's put our bunks over here. That'd be awesome. You know what? We need some running water. Let's get that and put that over here. Perfect. And when we come back at night, it'll be a little cool. We'll need some heat. Let's get a stove over here. I love it. And we could probably use a little entertainment when we come back at night from searching. Let's get a TV in here. Perfect. Hey, what kind of clothes should we wear in our search? Oh, let's get those cool pants that, that keep from ripping when you have to go through weeds and 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 different things like that. Thorns, yeah, let's get those. Hey, let's get um, LED flashlights and they have different functions of blinking. That would be awesome. Hey, you know what I like are those utility knives that have all the different tools in there. That would be perfect. And then they end up thinking, um, what kind of technique do we want to use? And one guy says, you know what? I would love to use the zigzag technique in searching for the lost. The other guy says, zigzag? I do the straight row technique in searching for the lost. No, the zigzag technique is, no, it's, this, it's a straight line. 
And I'm not going to do it any other way. A straight line or no way. And so they parted ways and one started the first zigzag community search. And then the other one started the straight line community search. And you realize of all that they talked about with searching for the lost, guess what they never did? They never searched for the lost, did they? They weren't even talking about the lost. They were just talking about how it's going to be for them. And so one huge reminder is the search always focuses on the lost, not on the searcher. I want to show you up here a little, I'm sure you're wondering what in the world is this ladder doing? Many of us, like those early believers, have climbed a ladder of faith or we've come to a specific place in our journey of faith and we've gone through some of the lower runs in how to come to Christ and, and to grow because of Jesus Christ and so we end up farther along on the rungs of this ladder and then sometimes, just like this Acts 15 experience, they end up saying, you know what? And that was such a meaningful thing for me. Other people need to be at the same point I am. And without knowing, by requiring certain things of them, we end up taking out some of the lower rungs of identity for them to come to Jesus Christ when we end up saying you need to do it the way that's most meaningful for me. And you realize if we want to go up a ladder, it's a whole lot easier to start down here rather than to say you need to start your faith journey right where mine's at now. This is the best way. This is the way I like. This is the best experience for me. Such was the case in that early church experience in Antioch. You need to start out here. And this is the example of that church in Jerusalem when they came up with the decision. They said, you know what? Don't, don't make it any harder. The goal is faith in Christ. The goal is not your specific way. And they said, you know what? So put those lower rungs back in. Don't make it any more difficult for these people to have faith in Jesus Christ. Make it so that way the focus is on the gospel. Connect with them where they are at the bottom rung and help them to take their faith journey up the ladder. There's a number of different ways I could um, communicate this, and we're going to talk about those in just a moment. Remove unnecessary impediments. I don't know if you realize this. Um, when I was a kid, here's how church was. I was at a smaller church, about 100 people. The church I originally started at was actually a mobile home. And, um, and they just took out all the interior walls, and so they were together. And then, then we had a building project, and we had a little bit bigger place, about 100 people. And I remember when a visitor would come into church. Here's how it worked. I, I don't know. Some of you have been around church for a long time. Let's see if you've ever heard. A visitor would walk into church, and we're all sitting there. 
And the pastor would get up and say, do we have any visitors here this morning? Now, I'm not doing this right now, okay? So if you're a visitor, I'm not about to point you out. Do we have any visitors here this morning? Raise your hand. And so a couple people would raise their hand. And then the pastor would do this. Do you ever see this? Pastor, well, welcome. Why don't you stand up? Stand up where you're at in the whole family and introduce yourself for the church. Any people ever been in church where they did that? Yeah, okay. And you know what? I know we used to do it here eons ago. That was the culture. That's how you did things. And people sit around saying, this will be great. I get to know who these people are. And, and so I remember once when we were visiting, and, and uh, well, we all stand up, and my dad stood up and said, I'm Bob Conover, my wife, Ida May, and here's our children. You know, well, thanks for coming. Have a seat. And, and um, I, I recently read a, a visitor's handbook, an usher's handbook that said um, that that's how you do it. Pastors, that you have people stand up and introduce yourself. And then another one, they said, um, have the ushers bring all visitors down to the front rows. Bring them down the front row. And here's the reasoning. It says it makes it harder for them to get out. (laughs) I read that and I'm like, really? Really? Why do we bring them down here when none of you people are even brave enough to sit down here in their front rows? <laughs> the only reason I could think of, hey, visitors, come down the front row. These cushions have never been used. <laughs> they are so soft. <laughs> that's, that's the way I grew up at church. Hey, stand up, introduce yourself. Bring them down to the front row where they'll feel nice and at home. And you realize our culture has adjusted a little bit? Thankfully, our church has kept up with some of those adjustments where we don't do that because some of you people be here this morning if we made you stand up and introduce yourself like, this is my last time here ever, ever. You realize things do adjust. And I'm sure there was a time period where people like, how are we going to know these people if they don't stand up and introduce themselves? If they don't get up and say who we are and what we do, how are we going to get to know these people? They need to stand up and introduce themselves. And you know the other thing? They need to come down the front and they need to sit right up front where we all know their visitors. And then let's give them our 10-gallon cowboy visitor's hat to wear in church this morning. That way everyone knows they're a visitor. And you realize what we end up doing? We make it harder. That worked 45 years ago. Um, But it's changed. And so we say, you know what? Let's, uh, Let's let them sneak in. And let's let them just fill out a card. And maybe we'll get it back. And you know what? Let's put the burden on us church people. Instead of them having to go high profile, why don't we look for them and get to know them and be Jesus to them and enjoy them? Maybe even get their name. And that is meeting them on the bottom rung. 
not making him do it the way that I liked. Searcher-focused is not the way Jesus did it. He was lost-focused. Here's the second one, and boy, does our time fly. It really does. Um, Here's number two, a second reminder, and we've talked about these. I'm just doing reminders for us. If we are lost focus, here's the big deal. If we are lost focused, we sacrifice preferences, not mission effectiveness. I want to give you three verses that are just so powerful. <clears throat> and the one we just read from the book of um, Acts is, is from James and, and here's the big deal. Sacrifice preferences, not mission effectiveness. Here's what James says. We should not make it difficult for those who are turning to God. Don't make it difficult. Think about them. The goal is them trusting Christ. Here's the apostle Paul said, we who are strong in Romans 15 ought to bear with the failings of the weak not please ourselves, sacrifice preferences for mission effectiveness. And then the words of Jesus, son of man has come to seek and save that which was lost. Sacrifice preferences, and I, and I tell you, we can talk about people all day long. There's nobody that sacrificed personally more for reaching the lost than Jesus Christ. And imagine here he was in heaven with unlimited worship and everyone knew who he was and he had all of his deity exercisable at his disposal. And then he comes to earth and he takes on humanity and he takes upon all of our needs and limitations and no one knew who he was. In fact, people doubted who he was when he said who he was. And then people got so sick of it that they beat him and hung him on a cross and murdered him. Tell me who sacrificed preferences more than Jesus for sake of mission effectiveness. And he asked us to do the same thing. These statements, we should not make it difficult. We who are strong bear with the failings of the weak. Seek and save that which is lost. These are all sayings that elevate the gospel they elevate the mission, they elevate its effectiveness, and they elevate that way over our preferences and desires. And when it comes down to the point where we have to choose, do I stay with my preference the way I enjoy it that may conflict with ministry effectiveness, or do I give that up for the sake of mission effectiveness? I know which one we sacrifice. It's a no-brainer. We do the same thing Jesus did because the mission, the gospel is primary. That's what needs to be primary. I was thinking of a, a young engaged couple walks into the pastor's office for pre-marriage counseling and uniquely so she has an eight by 10 picture and she shows the pastor this eight by 10 picture. And here's what it is. It's of her parents on their wedding day. So she shows the picture. And of course, there's the dad in his light powder puff blue tuxedo. 
with the frilly shirt puffing out the front like a nice ripe patch of cauliflower. And there's mom in her lovely wedding dress with the super long train, the shoulder pads borrowed from the Detroit Lions. Remember those? Come on, gals. I think they had a little saying on the bottom that said, like, inflate to 35 pounds or something like that. And there they were. And I, some of us are laughing because that was, that was us, wasn't it? Huh? And, and they hold that there. And then they say, Pastor, we have a problem. And she says, my mom was so excited about me getting married. She took me out to dinner. We had this special time together. And when we were all done, she handed me this box, an early wedding present. You know where we're going, huh? And she said, and I opened it. And I pulled it out. And it was not a puppy. It was her wedding dress, the dress, the shoulder pads, the long train, and the mom with joy across her face said, this is going to be so great. You can wear my dress for your wedding. And the daughter said, and I, I didn't know what to say. So she said, I, I started to think of what are some alternative solutions. And she said, well, mom, I, I wouldn't want to ruin your dress. Oh, no, 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 you wouldn't ruin it. It's, I kept it perfect. There's nothing wrong with it. It works just fine. And she says, well, maybe there's some other way I can incorporate it. And then she said, maybe, maybe. I could cut it and use the fabric for our table favors. That did not go over well. And then mom was offended and hurt that you weren't going to use her dress for your wedding. And then she goes home and tells dad and dad saying, how come you just don't use her dress? Just go along with it. And then mom pulls out the trump card. We're paying for this wedding, you know. And if we're going to pay for this wedding, then we're going to get some things our way in it. Interesting. Oh, you want to come to Christ. You want to come to church. Great. Here's my dress. I'm sure mom back in the wedding analogy saying, and you can sing our favorite song from the carpenters in your wedding. And I saved the mint green unity candle just for you. Oh, you want to come to church? You want to come to Christ? Oh, I've got the best thing for you. There's a reason why we don't make visitors stand. The reason why we don't make them march down front. 
we've adjusted some things here. We've adjusted music and dress. This little thing. Remember when I started preaching 25 years ago, there was a pulpit. Good gravy. I don't know if it was a six or eight cylinder, but it was big. You stand back here with your arms on both sides and it gives you a chance to flex a little bit and preach. And it was a monster. But you know what? Our culture's adjusting. And the one thing, though, that never adjusts, folks, is the most important thing in all of what we do. And the thing that never adjusts is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Where he said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No one comes unto the Father except by me. And that's primary. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll adjust these threads to connect with our people, our culture, and the bottom rung. I'll change music to adjust with people on the bottom rung. I, I'll, I'll adjust how we do things in here. I, I'll adjust how we recognize visitors. We'll adjust whatever it is because ultimately the main thing that matters is are we effectively reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ? It's all for the sake of the gospel. You know what? Um, I firmly believe that these clocks are demon-possessed. <laughs> what in the world? How did that go? It went by quick for me. I don't know about for you. Some of you would be like, wow, this has been forever. <laughs> I will not adjust how long I speak, though. That's, no. Hey, let me give you some things. These are questions you had, but I'm gonna, we're going to finish up. Here's some questions you had, and I think these were great, and we're going to do that text message thing. I realize that the phone just blew up back there with all of your questions. There's no way we could answer them all. So here's a few that, that uh, questions that you had. How far is too far? Uh, one person texted in a question um, that some churches have um, ashtrays all around. Should we do that? What do you do? How far is too far for connecting with people with the gospel of Christ? So I'm going to give you, these are just some, these are some teachings about um, Christian liberty, about Christian liberty and personally and collectively how we utilize Christian liberty. Um, just jot these down on your worship folder there in your notes. I'm, here they are. Um, number one, how far is too far for you personally in reaching someone for Jesus Christ? Number one, do not violate your conscience to reach someone for Jesus Christ. Do not violate your conscience. I'm gonna give you a verse on that. Well, it's up there. Romans 14, 22 through 23. The reality is if you truly struggle with something from your past, your history, your upbringing, and you realize in your heart this could cause you to sin, it is a conscience issue for you. It is significant than then don't violate your conscience. Now, I just want to clarify, conscience is not, I don't like that. That's not conscience. That's opinion. Conscience is, oh, I really feel that I would fail God, really, 
It's a big deal. Don't do it. Here's another one. Don't cause another to sin. 1 Corinthians 8, 9. Don't cause... This is knowingly, too. Okay? You can't use the argument, someone, somewhere, at some time, might somehow, with binoculars from a high-story building, long way away, see you do something, and they might be led to sin. It's not the unknowing, radical situation. The, the reality is if you're dealing with someone and you know they struggle with something, and you have the liberty to do that, don't. Don't put yourself in a scenario where you would cause someone else to sin. Just don't exercise it. Don't do it. Because there's something more important than you exercising your liberty. You may say, I have the right to do this, so I'm going to do it, and I don't care if he's sitting right there. Then, then we put our preference over and above being lost focused. Remember that one? The preference goes. The right goes because we want to be lost focused. Here's number three. Don't use your freedom to stimulate sinful impulses. Galatians 5.13. This is beautiful to think about. Because some people say, I have the freedom to do something. And I can do it. And in exercising that freedom, sometimes they nurse along sinful impulses. Now, I'm just going to reveal to you some of my crazy teenage thinking when I, this was a few years ago, but I remember telling my parents, well, the Bible doesn't say I can't hold hands and kiss, you know. So I have the right to do all of that. And my parents knew that if my lips ever came near a girl, that I would not be thinking thoughts of praise the Lord and honor and glory to his name, you know? And they realized something that I wouldn't come to grips with up here, that I may do certain things I have the liberty to do, but to nurse along sinful impulses and inch me closer to things I should not be doing. And so... So this is my first experience. What is that? Is that rain or wind or? Okay. Well, let's just stay inside. I'll preach longer. <laughs> wow. Boy, what an answer to prayer, huh? <laughs> my prayer, not yours, obviously. <laughs> um, so don't use freedom to stimulate sinful impulse. Some, some people realize if you come near a drink, you are nursing along a sinful impulse. And it's not worth it. Some people don't struggle in any way. So we understand that when using freedoms, when how far is too far, don't violate your conscience, don't cause another sin, don't use freedom to stimulate sinful impulses. I gotta move through these a little quicker. Here's number two. How do I discern freedoms? Great question. Discern between what is Christian and what is culture. What's Christian and what is culture. And one way to figure that one out really quick, is there really Bible and verse to what you're saying or did we just make this thing up? And if there's no Bible and verse, but we've wedded together some gorgeous philosophy that kind of comes out with our conclusion, typically we're probably talking about something cultural. Hey, who's a visitor here this morning? That's culture. These babies right here, that's culture. This music up here, that's culture. This guy right here, 
That's culture. If you find me a verse that says you need a massive pulpit up here, I will do it because I love God's word and I'm going to do everything he wants me to do. However, if there's no verse and I realize I have a better chance to be lost focused with this little guy, we're bringing in the little guy. You got to discern between what's Christian and culture. Live in honest community. Sometimes we can deceive ourselves. <clears throat> Sometimes we can deceive ourselves and say, you know what? Um, I think I'm just fine doing this. It's great to have partners with us in ministry, friends with us in ministry. It's why it's important to be in a small group and to be connected to other people that can say, you know what? Um, throw it out at them. Say, hey, what do you think about this? And they can say, you know what? Um, I think you're putting yourself in harm's way. I think that could be a real issue for you. Live in honest community with other people. And then the, the last one is be very honest with yourself. Because one of the biggest challenges of individuals is self-deception. Sometimes we just want to do it. And so we'll tell ourselves over and over, I just want to do it. So I found this verse that says I can do it. And we need to be very careful to guard ourselves against self-deception um, in the issue of freedoms. Live in honest community with other people and really search out the scriptures to see what God has for us and, and not. And then here's the last one I want to give to you, and we're going to finish up with this. You know, if I sacrifice my preference for the lost, what's in it for me? And I know that that sounds maybe a little selfish, but I understand the significance, the sentimental of our spiritual experience. And I don't talk about this stuff lightly. I realize because I have attachments too. What's in it for me? I put so much into these certain preferences. I get so much from them. And you tell me I give them up for the sake of these people here that may or may not come to Christ. So really, what's in it for me? So I'm going to give you what's in it for you. And they're the best things. What's in it for me? Number one, you get the most important thing. You know what that is? More than music, more than dress, more than your seat, more than the decor, more than cliches, more than culture. You get the most important thing, which is the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because that's what we are here for. Big fat amen from the crowd. You got it. That's what we're here for. You get the message, which is more important than all the other stuff. The message of I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's the power of God unto salvation. Number two, you get the mission. You get the mission. And the mission is more and better disciples. We get to orient where this thing goes. It goes the way God wants it to we're totally committed to his mission of reaching more people and causing us all to be better followers of Jesus Christ. We get the message, we get the mission. 1 Corinthians 9, 22 through 23 says the third one. We get the blessings of the gospel where he says, I become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. And then he said, I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I might share in its blessings we get the blessings of the gospel. Now tell me what is more special to us, our song or seeing someone kneel at the foot of the cross and give their life 
and their heart to Jesus Christ. Huh? That's the most exciting thing in the world. And really, going back to the dress, what really is the exciting thing that your daughter's getting married or that she wears your dress? It's really more exciting that you're going to have a grandchild or that he must carry on the name Archibald through the next generation. Oh, I think we know. It's not the dress. It's not the name. It's not the song. It's the person. It's the heart that's changed forever. The blessings of the gospel. And you probably will never find a more sour church than the one that caters to all of their preferences and does everything they can that they can to sustain them and preserve them until the rapture. And you'll never find a more excited, smiling church than the one who gives that up for the sake of reaching others with the gospel of Jesus. And then here's the last one I want to give to you. The biggest one of all, what do I get? What's in it for me? And here's the last one, pleasing God, pleasing God. There's a parable in the Bible of three servants who all had what was called talents or units of money. And to one, the master gave 10 talents. To one, the master gave five. To one, the master gave one talent. And so the two with the most units of money went out and risked it. They invested it because they wanted the master to be pleased. They wanted to give him more. And so the They risked it and invested it, and bam, they doubled the investment. And if you've been in church for your whole life, maybe you know the master shows up at the end and sees that they doubled it, and he said these words, if you know him, same with me, well done, good and faithful servant. Good job, he said. Great job. You took what I gave you, you risked, you got more from me. Thank you. And then there was the last servant who got one and he took it and he was scared. He didn't want to blow it and he kept it just the way it was, buried in the ground. When the master came back, he pulled it out and said, here's your one. And the master said, you wicked and lazy servant. You didn't risk anything. You gave me back just what I gave you. Anyone could have done that. This is away with you. And here's a phrase I've been living with for a number of years, and I just want to conclude with it. And with it, I'll have you close your eyes in just a moment. Here's the phrase. Go out on a limb, because that's where the fruit is. That's where the fruit is, folks. Fruit's not around our preference. The fruit's around the lost. Fruit's around the gospel. So step out there, gang. Because God's pleased with that kind of Christian. God's pleased with that kind of church. Would you close your eyes with me? And we're going to finish up. And I just say... um, If you're a part of this ministry, you've been a regular here, would you take a moment and in your heart, 
Would you pray the prayer I've been praying in my heart too? God, help me focus on the lost. Help me to rid myself of me and my way. I want to share in your blessings. I want to please you. I want to go out on a limb for you. I want you to be pleased. And if you're, if you're a staple here, if you've been here, would you, would you in your heart commit to that kind of Christianity? Not make it harder for those who are turning to God. Not make it harder. Meet them on the bottom rung. And help them in their walk with Jesus. And if you're new, as they're praying that prayer, I want you to know, this place is for you, man. If you're a newbie and you've only been here one, two, three, four, five weeks, and you're like, what's up with this place? What's up with East Bay? I want you to know. We're continuing our commitment to be a church that doesn't focus on us, but we want to focus on the people of today, on the culture of today, on the needs of today, and reach them with the timeless gospel of Jesus Christ. We want you to feel loved. We want you to feel welcome. We want you to know this place is for you. And no, we're not perfect. We're far from it. We've got things to go. We've got changes to make. But we're committed to Jesus and we're committed to you and we want you, we want you two to meet and to have the relationship that we have with God. So pray with me if you would in your heart. God, bring your new ones here. We'll love them. We'll flex for them. We'll adjust our preferences for them. We'll point them to your gospel, this non-negotiable that we all must accept and embrace. God, we'll do this for the sake of Jesus Christ and the mission of God. And God, would you use us and use this place to make more and better disciples. May we not get hung up on the little things, on the peripherals, but elevate the reality of the beautiful gospel and those that need to embrace it. And do all this, God, for your glory and your pleasure. And all be space said, amen. Would you stand with me? Thank you. I never go this far over, and I will not do this for at least a week again. Thank you for your patience. You were so kind. I think you know it's an important message. Have a great week. God bless you. Be lost focus. They're there. Let's connect with them on the bottom rung. Have a great one.